God still uses his people to bring healing to the suffering in our present day. But I believe that it's crucial to cultivate the practice beyond just simply teaching doctrine. <clears throat> I am going to just download on you tonight a lot of verses. Unashamedly, lots of verses coming your way, AK-47 style. It's going down. A couple things that I want to do, I want to lay out a basic theology for healing. I want to address some of the questions that we have. I know that you have, that I have around this issue. And I also want to teach all of us and remind us, encourage us to contend for the healing power of God. No matter where you are, I want to ask you this, and I, and I mean this with all due respect. This can be a very emotional topic. Every person in this room has been sick at some point, probably, and we all have had loved ones that are sick. Right now, you might have people among you, um, around you. You may yourself be very ill right here and right now. That might be the case. And so this could be very emotional. And I'm not asking you to turn your emotions off. God gave us our emotions. He certainly wants to sanctify them. <laughs> but I'm not asking you to turn your emotions off and become mindless. What I'm asking is that if you hold your emotions out, let's just look at truth as it is. Let's look at the Bible as it is. And then we can analyze our feelings and our emotions in light of what the Bible says. I know that's impossible sometimes to do, but I need to ask you to do that up front because I've done this enough to know that when you talk about something as serious as this, that's just, that's just how it is. Um, and we'll get into that in just a little bit. So give you a basic theology for supernatural healing. The concept that I talked to you about last month, in case you weren't here, is that we practice what we believe. We practice what we believe. This is why theology is actually extremely important. We need to know what we believe, why we believe it, where it is in Scripture, so that as we step out, supposing we do step out, that we know that it's rooted and grounded in God's Word. I want to tell you up front one of the things that we have as a problem when we approach the issue of healing, and this is a very serious issue. You may not know that this, the deck is stacked against us right now. You've probably heard, if you've been in this church any length of time, you've heard Pastor Steve talk about this. But I want you to know there's a book that I've read before Maybe you've heard of this book called Power Healing by John Wimber. It's a great book. It's not the only one that I recommend, but it's certainly one of them. And John Wimber actually talks about how he believes secularism has invaded the church, and it's invaded what we call theology, and it's caused us to believe falsehood and not the Word of God. And he goes into saying that when he was a professor at a prestigious seminary, that he actually had his associate. Now, picture this. He has his associate at a well-known seminary. I won't name drop it, but you can do the research and find out which one it is. But he had his associate go to the librarian and gather 20, the 27 books that first-year seminarians would typically use for study. Now, these books were thick. Many of them were thousands of pages, up to the point where out of these 27 books, they analyzed 87,000 pages. And you did the math right. That's 3,200 pages per book. These are large encyclopedias so on and so forth, theological word study books and so on. They analyzed 27 books, 87,000 pages, and out of all of these pages, now I want you to get this, I want you to grasp this, I want you to feel this with your heart, only 0.3% of all of these pages that were reviewed referenced healings, miracles, signs, and wonders. 0.3, not 3%, 0.3%. 
Out of 87,000 pages, that's 288 pages have any reference whatsoever. These are the books that we use to study the book, the Bible. This is the first-year seminarian, a person that we send to a seminary to study, to learn about God and minister to God's people. Now, Ben, why is that a problem? Because if you read the book of Acts and the four Gospels and Paul's 13 letters, you can't even read Revelation without realizing that somebody had a vision pretty serious-like. Where Jesus in His glory like literally revealed Himself to John and He fell down as though He was dead. Real stuff happened. It's not a fictitious book. This was real. When you read the book and you see that those that are going to study for ministry, become pastors, are studying these books about the Bible and 0.3%, 288 pages even reference healings, signs, wonders, miracles, the gospel proclamation with power, and you see that it's a significant theological framework for the New Testament, period. I don't even know how somebody could argue with that, but we do. You realize very quickly that the deck is stacked against us, meaning that when we go to buy books at the Christian bookstore, the majority of the theological books that we buy are already telling us that this stuff is not for today. I want to prove it to you because I know you're asking questions. I'm going to quote John Calvin. People have heard me say I deny all five points of Calvinism. I do. Calvin writes in Institutes of Christian Religion. This is where Reformed theology comes from, which is the majority of theologians that have written this material. This is why I'm adamantly against some of this stuff. I'm not against people who subscribe to certain kinds of theology, brothers and sisters in the Lord, but this is a problem and we need to bring it up because it's already in our mindsets, theologically speaking, as we talk about the issue of healing, which you're going to see in a little bit. But here's what John Calvin writes. He says, the gift of healing lies like the rest of miracles, which the Lord willed to be brought forth for a time, has vanished away in order to make the preaching of the gospel marvelous forever. Healing now has nothing to do with us to whom the administrating of such powers has not been committed. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think that's pretty clear. We're talking about a guy that does not believe that anybody that asks Jesus to heal them will ever happen. It is not something that God has committed His power to do any longer. This is called cessationism, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is not for today. And to me, this is absolute, total, complete heresy. And so I don't want you to be confused about what kind of church you came to tonight. <laughs> and if we don't start here, we're going to miss an understanding of what that the deck is actually very much stacked against us. The majority of the seminaries that people attend today, and some of you have attended them, and you know what I'm saying is absolutely true. They will teach you that God no longer does what he used to do. All right? And so this is very dangerous. This is scary, in fact, because when you're a pastor or in, if you're just a Christian and you begin to have this kind of thinking and you start praying for anything that goes beyond the natural order or God, your will be done or really whatever you can do, whatever you want to do, go ahead and do. I'm not even sure what that is. It makes it very difficult to pray, if not impossible. I think we can come to an agreement on that. But let's go ahead and take a look at what I'm calling a theological framework for healing. First thing I want to tell you tonight is sickness is a curse. We were created by God, for God, in the image of God, 
and it was good. This is what Genesis 1.31 says. God saw all that he had made. He had made Adam at this point. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning and the sixth day. He said it was good. God meant it. He created man. It was good. God commanded Adam and Eve to not eat from a certain tree or they would die. You remember this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, he said, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And listen to this, for the day you do, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And they ate from the tree. We all read Genesis chapter 3. They get deceived, they eat from the tree, God tells them not to. We disobey. Adam, named, his name means man. So our understanding of what we call the fall in Genesis chapter 3 is that if it was you, you would have done the same thing. That's called the fall. We all say, well, Adam, you know, if it, I wish it was somebody else. Well, the fact is, if it was any other man, it would have been the same exact thing. The fall enacted a curse upon the whole human race, and sickness is a part of that curse. Ben, are you saying that I'm cursed if I have a sickness? I am saying if you're human, you have a curse. I'm not saying it is because of your personal sin. I am saying that every person on the planet that has ever been born was born into the sin-sick world and the curse that is upon the human race. Genesis 3.17 spells this out very clear. After they sinned, then Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice, God says to, this, to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is what he says to Adam after he ate, after he told him not to eat. And he said, if you eat, you will die. That is not God's heart for the human race. He did not create us for death. That is why every funeral that you have ever attended feels odd, even when people go to be with the Lord, because we feel the ache of death, and we realize we were not created for death. We were made for life. That's why when Jesus comes, He comes to offer us eternal, I am the resurrection and the, I'm the way, the truth, and the there's a theme going on here. And there was another tree in the garden called the tree of? And when man ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were banished from the garden because he said, lest they stretch forth their hand and eat from the tree of life and live in that condition forever. He banished us from the garden. Sin sickness is upon the whole human race. This is a curse According to the theological word book of the Old Testament, the word here for curse means to bind, to hem in with obstacles, to render powerless, to resist. There is something in us, in sickness, that is rendered powerless, and sickness is a part of this curse. We need not wonder where sickness comes from. It comes from here, and so do all the effects of the fall. The whole earth was subject to the curse of death. Sickness is a part of that death. Sickness is a curse of original sin. It's also a curse in the Old Testament when it occurs in the context of the sin of disobedience before God. You can reference Deuteronomy 28, 58 through 61. I could go on, but God actually says this about them. Every sickness and every plague 
which not written in the book of this law the Lord will bring on you until the day you are destroyed. That's in the context of disobedience. But you know, prior to this judgment, God gives them three promises of healing. If you do this, I will heal you. If you do this, you will be healed. I am the Lord your God who heals you. And then after that, he says, but if you walk away and you move down this other path, Basically, in my understanding, I will allow these sicknesses to come upon you. I will be your healer. I will be your covering. But if you go outside of my covering, this stuff's going to happen because that's what the human race is under already. Now, sickness is a curse. We're all in agreement with that. Let's move on. Number two, healing is a promise. Sickness was released upon the, upon the whole human race because of our sin, but health and healing is released upon the human race because of God's goodness. In the Old Testament, God revealed Himself as the God who heals us to His covenant people, Israel, Exodus 15, 26. And He said, if you, give, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord, your God, He's talking to the people, and do what is right in His sight and give ear to His commandments and keep all of His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord your God, am your healer. If you obey me, if you follow me, you won't have any of these diseases on, on your life. That, that's, a, that's God speaking. We can't mess with that. That's, that's not my interpretation. That's, that's God speaking. We lost everything in the fall, but we're restored to everything through the work of Christ. In the same way that a sacrifice was offered for sins in the old covenant, Jesus gave his life as a once and for all sin offering for our life. Look at Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And I want to show you something here. You may know it. But we need to be reminded, and he began to teach them, Jesus, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus says in this context, I must suffer, be killed, and rise again. Why did Jesus have to die? Because human beings bear the penalty of sin without any way of redeeming ourselves or repaying our debt. The day you eat of it, you'll die. That is the consequence of our disobedience. Can we talk about this for a minute? It should be offensive to a degree to our flesh, but we bear the penalty of our sin. Every human being will stand before a holy and righteous God with their sin before them, and there is nothing that we can say or do to get out of His righteous judgment in that moment in and of ourselves. The gospel is that Jesus came and did what we could not do. Jesus paid a price that we couldn't afford. Jesus died willingly in our place. He gave his life willingly. He let violent men put him to a cross because that was what love really was for the human race. That's what we needed him to do. Why did Jesus need to die? Because we bear the penalty of death. He came and put himself in our place. And by doing this, Jesus did not only seek to redeem us in the sense of forgiveness, but the curse did not only bring us into a wayward or irreconciled relationship, but it also brought upon great effects, and sickness is part of that. When we come to Christ, we receive the finished work of the cross. What Jesus paid for on the cross was not just the forgiveness for our sins, it was also for the effects of what sin caused. And sickness is a massive part of this. Well, why would you say that, Ben? I'm glad that you asked that question. 
We call this substitutionary atonement is what I'm talking about. Isaiah 53 verse 4. This is Isaiah prophesying about Jesus coming, dying, and giving his life for us. Surely he took our, our infirmities and he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God. Cursed by God would be the word there. We considered him cursed by God, smitten by him, afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. What was the punishment? Death, separation. That was the punishment, and it was put upon Jesus. Did Jesus suffer enough? That's a question you have to answer. By his wounds, we are healed. We are made whole, complete. That's both temporarily and eternally. This is what we're talking about tonight. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And this verse, this passage, this chapter absolutely contains not only sin, but the effects of sin. God wanted to undo and redeem all things, and that includes what we're talking about tonight. Jesus carried our sin and its effects. By His stripes, through His death, we are healed. We believe this because when Jesus stepped into His ministry, what did He do? One-third of the Gospels is Jesus going around removing sickness off people. This is undeniable. I mean, you just would have to not read the Gospels to disagree with that. Jesus came to inaugurate His kingdom, which is His reign and His rule over sin, the effects of sin, the devil, and ultimately death itself will get swallowed up by our great and glorious Savior and all that He did. This is the Gospel, but it's the Gospel with full implications. It's like... Who didn't tell you about the full benefit package? It was a bad insurance agent. The book of Matthew, it mentions nine times that Jesus healed all the people that came to him. Now hear this, okay? Matthew 4.23, Jesus was going throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. That word in Greek, every, it means... You're darn right it does. It means every. The word for healing is the same word for cure. Jesus was the cure for sin, the effects of sin. This is not rocket science. I'm teaching a basic theology, but I think sometimes we lose our head around this stuff because we simply just don't read through the Scriptures. I encourage you to read Foundations of Pentecostal Theology. It really does require going into this, reading it, studying it. Without the books... The 99.97% of the books out there that tell you what I'm saying is false. I mean that. 99% of the commentaries are telling you and I that what I'm saying is not true. The deck is really stacked against us, guys. I, I hope I prove that. It's our disposition, it's my disposition, certainly, that is always God's will to he heal every kind of sickness and disease. I, I want to be, be clear, because you have questions about that when I say it, but I'm going to say it as clear as I can. Ben, do you believe that it is God's will to heal every time, every sickness, and every disease? Yes, I do. I do. And, but, you, but listen, I told you, emotions, you got to put them aside. You got to listen to me. There's more conversation, okay? It's not as simple as just saying it that way. Because I know there are a lot of questions that sometimes teachers and preachers won't answer. 
And so it leaves people with questions. And I don't think that's fair. And I'm, as a pastor, I'm unwilling to do that. So we, we got a lot, of, a lot of ground to cover. I don't have an answer for why sometimes healing doesn't happen this side of heaven. I, I don't have an answer. Now, I've, I've got books. I've got books in my little bibliography in the back of my notes. I've got books that will tell you 19 reasons why people don't get healed. Everybody wants a perfect little box. Unfortunately, God doesn't always fit in a box. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever. There are things that I know and there are things that I don't know. And so I just focus on what I know. And this is what I know. I know that God heals. I know, I know that it is His will. I know that the Bible says that Jesus was the exact representation of the invisible God. And if Jesus went around healing all who were sick and casting out demons from all who were oppressed of the devil, then I know that that is a representation of who God is and what God wants to do. God showed His hand. This is who I am, and this is what I want to do. People from all over went to see Jesus everywhere. People opened up roofs to get to Him. They did everything they could to get to Jesus when they found out He was a miracle worker. They made their way to Jesus. This was the reality. This is what we should do, make our way to Jesus. He's the cure. Healing then becomes our ministry. We go from curse to healing as a promise to healing as our ministry. Clearly, we see healing was Jesus' ministry, but Ben, what about the disciples? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, He called the 12 disciples to Him and He gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. That, he gave that to the disciples. That's not just Jesus, that's the disciples. Jesus gave His disciples power and authority to cast out demons, preach the kingdom, and heal. We see this again in the Great Commission. Listen to the Great Commission. You've heard this before. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Now listen with some fresh ears. Listen to this. this is, I, just, I just love this. This is so good. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And let me remind you, Jesus is not saying, dunk them in a tank and just say, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We turn everything into a ritual. He's talking about immerse them, saturate them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're certainly talking about a baptism of the Holy Ghost too. But we don't, we've just, anyways, we've gone through the Christendom car wash. I, I don't have time for that, but. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. What did Jesus command them to do? And this is what we have to understand. It's not about just the commission. It's the content of the commission. Jesus was telling his disciples, preach the kingdom of God, heal the sick, cast out demons, go for it, give your life, serve, give to the poor. He told them all of this stuff. Give your life as a sacrifice for humanity. I'm your example. Don't hold back. Don't put your hand to the plow and look back. Don't look to the right or to the left. Go for it. This is your lot in life. This is what Jesus told them. He commanded them to heal the sick. So when we talk about making disciples and it not including these kinds of things, then we're missing what Jesus himself commanded his disciples to do. We're just supposed to give people integrity principles and teach them how to read their Bible and never live the Bible. Oh my gosh, it's an epidemic. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not fantastic. 
There's a lot of words going on right there. You guys have something to say. But, but hear me out. We love to make everybody special people. That special person has got the special anointings and the special, the special recipe. It's a special cookie that when you eat the special cookie, you're going to get the special stuff. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, therefore, go. You say, Ben, what's the problem? Why don't we see more? Because people don't go. It's not rocket science. We get it mixed up. We get it messed up. We don't go to a lost and dying world that needs to see a resurrected Christ. We stay. We sit. We keep waiting in Jerusalem. We don't go. He said, go, therefore. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything. Have you been taught to heal the sick? Have you been taught to cast out demons? Have you been taught to prophesy? Have you been taught that you have power and authority and that when you walk out these doors, it is not about you, it's not about me, it's not about how cool I am or how cool you are. It is about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ through common people to change the world. You want to water it down? We can water it down if we want to. We can, we can water it down a little bit, but I prefer not to, not to do that, right? I've never even heard of watered down water, but I suppose it, I suppose it exists, you know. I don't, I've never seen it. I'm certain that somebody bottles it somewhere and sells it, though, because, you know. It's a thing. It sounds like a thing. We should write, Steve, we should write that down. We should make some money right there and send it out for the gospel. That's what I was talking about, people. Come on. The mission is to evangelize, disciple the nations. But what is the content of discipleship? It just becomes sitting and studying. And as much as I want every person to read the Bible every day, study the Word of God, we need to know the Word of God, but the Word known and read and not lived, it just becomes as dead as it was to the Pharisees. And we become utterly self-righteous, full of ourselves, full of our knowledge. We're smart people. We're really smart. I know a lot. But does God call upon us to do things that only He can do through a person's life yielded? That's the question. Stuff that makes us uncomfortable but that would put him on display. You know, Paul said it this way. He said, we have this power, this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have something precious and something not very precious to show that the all-surpassing power, dunamis power, is from God and not from us. We have this treasure. We've got something special inside of us to show not to proclaim, to show that the all-surpassing power, dunamis, that which comes out of us, is from God and not for ourselves. In the first couple chapters of the book of Acts, you see that the surrounding community looking at the believers manifesting the power of God, it says again and again and again, five times just in the first couple chapters, that the people who saw what was happening were astonished and amazed. This is what we want for King Jesus. We want the, the world to look at the church, at our lives, and be astonished and amazed at the Christ that we believe because that's what we are. That's what I am. I am astonished and amazed 
at the Lord Jesus Christ. Healing is our ministry. We know that Jesus speaks to his disciples about being witnesses. I'll talk about this in great detail next month. We're just going to break open every passage that I can get my hands on in the Bible about the baptism of power. But he said to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, So when they met together, they asked, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still asking the question based on the framework or the theology that they had, their Jewish understanding. He says, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You will go out. You will not stay. You will go out. And you will go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Federal Way, Washington. The word power is the word dunamis. Sometimes people say it's like dynamite, you know, and they picture us like blowing up. (laughs) This is a terrible picture. That's not what that word means. Kettle's Theological Dictionary would say the word dunamis, the word for power here means power to do miracles. Power to do miracles. We see the direct disciples of Jesus and their disciples continue the healing ministry. It is definitely hidden in the history books. Many churches, many movements tried to hide it, cover it up, and act like God didn't continue His power ministry through the church, and it's not true, and you can dig it up, and I've got lots of books that you can reference of historical events and people and ministries all throughout history that have moved in the power of God, just as the Bible says. But Ben, what about navigating the difficulties of supernatural healing power? That's what I want to do, and I know you do. I know you do. We got to answer some questions. If we're going to venture into the healing ministry, we've got to be prepared for the things that come. And so this isn't my first rodeo, and I know that how this goes. Here are some of the questions that can be common when it comes to the issue of healing. Why doesn't everyone get healed? This question gets asked all the time. You may have this question tonight. I respect that question. I'm not putting anybody down. I want you to understand that tonight. I'm not making fun. I'm not putting anybody down. I didn't come to this overnight. I came to this through study. I came to this through contemplation, prayer, asking God to reveal His His Word to me. Generally speaking, we don't really know why everyone gets healed. And I'm actually a little bit skeptical of anybody that says they do know why, to be honest with you. And there are scriptural reasons why people don't get healed, some, but they don't actually give us every reason. And there are reasons such as it could be unbelief, ignorance, demonic spirits. Some people can be sick because they can be demonized. That's a factor. That actually is in Scripture. I've seen it myself in cases. There are many reasons, though. There are at least four occurrences in the New Testament where healing didn't happen immediately, but we don't know what happened later. And so it's important for us to know the Scripture doesn't say everything. It doesn't package everything for us. And so we often make statements out of stuff we weren't there for and don't fully understand. But there are a lot of passages that get brought up that I don't think have anything to do with this topic. But what we do know is that we're called to pray for the sick, and that's extremely clear. I'm not going to actually present an argument for every detail of why people don't get healed and and blame everything on this and that and the other. But what I am saying, there are scriptural reasons. I've, I've mentioned a few. Demonic spirits, ignorance, unbelief, these are a few. There are others. But what I would say is that what is clear is we're called to pray for one another when we're sick, and we're called to pray for the sick. That's very clear from Scripture. Number two is, do I have enough faith to be healed? Faith is a crucial element. It's not the only element. Is it my faith for you when I pray, or is it your faith to receive 
healing from God. It's always a both and, and it's more than that. It's not always just an issue of, do I have enough faith? You know, like it's a quantity, like is my power bar on my phone full? <laughs> you know, am I 70% yet? Like just keep pumping it until you get 100. <laughs> is that enough, Lord? God does a lot with a little, doesn't he? Jesus is the one that said a mustard seed of faith. Doesn't sound like very much. You ever see a mustard seed? Sometimes you can't even see it. It's so small. He's proving a point. It's faith in action. Faith isn't just about something you have in your head or your heart. It's something that you actually can manifest through your hands, through your life. Faith is seen and not just thought. So we see different kinds of faith in the Bible. We see what I call weak faith, Mark 9, 17. This is where the father is asking Jesus for his son. He's quite discouraged, and he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, if you're able, and Jesus is like, if I am able, what's up? And he says, I, of course I'm able. He's Jesus. And there's some, there's some faith. That's what I'm calling it. Mark chapter 1, verse 40, this is where the, a leper is asking Jesus to heal him, and he says, if you are willing... And Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. Notice in every story, whether it was questioning Jesus' ability or questioning His willingness, Jesus still healed. Isn't that something? Because what you do see, what we see from this passage and the many like it, is that their faith, they had enough faith to take the step and begin to dialogue with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? You see prayer happening there. You see somebody taking a step. You see somebody pursuing Jesus. Whatever it is, whether it's weak or it's great faith, you see activity. And this is important when we talk about what faith actually is. Mark chapter 5, verse 25, and this is where the woman with the issue of blood, who we all admire, says, if I only touch him, if I only touch the the edge of his robe because I can't fully embrace him. I just want to touch the edge of his robe. And if I just do that, then I think that I could get healed. So we admire her faith. I'd call that great faith. So it's not just about having enough. Sometimes it's not the quantity or the quality. It's the enduring faith that we're after, the faith that doesn't give up. What if it's not the quantity or the quality? The quantity, do I have enough, or the quality, is it good enough? What if it's the, the duration of our faith? Pressing in and staying in. Cont this is the phrase that I want to give you tonight. Contend until the end. That's our lot in life. And for me, this is what I teach because there's no alternative. If something ever were to happen to me, and I'm not uh, faith movement, health, wealth, blab it, grab it, whatever, okay, if I say I'm a monkey's uncle, then all of a sudden I literally become a monkey's uncle, you know? It's like, don't say that over yourself. I'd have to cut out half of my conversation because most of it's goofy talk. <laughs> you know, that's just nonsense, to be quite honest with you. I think there's power in words, but we go way too far. Now, I'm not saying that the faith movement didn't get some stuff right. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we, we, I don't know what email address you can email, but anyways, all right. But, you know, there's something to be said about faith. But let me just say, like, I believe that when it comes to the way we talk, I think it's actually important. But I think that we do need to be a people of prayer. I'm just going to cap it there because I'm going to get in trouble if I don't move on. Number three, if God is good, then why didn't he do anything for me? This question is, is actually embedded in a larger question, and it comes out of pain. If God is good, then why didn't He heal me? 
Why didn't he heal my mom? Why didn't he heal my dad? Actually, sometimes it goes as far as saying, why did God take my parent, my child, my son? God didn't take them. God didn't kill them. In fact, if you read the book of Job, Job's perspective in the entire book is absolutely wrong. And it's an important lesson that we need to learn. Like Job says, he gives and he takes away. That's, a, that's not a song that I sing, by the way. If, you ever, if we ever play that song, Jonathan's probably not going to play that song after today. But we sing, he gives and he takes away. You know what I'm saying? And he gives and he takes. Job's saying that out of a wrong theological perspective about God. That's not a song we should be singing, by the way. Because when Job, when Job is confronted by God at the end of the book, where were you? When I drew the borders of the waters, where were you? When I I said to the sky, hello, where are you? And then Job takes one step back and says, I have heard of you with my ears, but now my eyes have seen you and I repent in dust and ashes. Job blamed God for all the bad that had happened to him. But whose fault really was it? And he never acknowledges the devil one time. The book of Job is the peril of the human experience. It's where something bad happens and we say, well, you know, we got to suffer. Bad things happen to people. And then something worse happens, right? Remember when bad goes to worse? Anybody anybody been there for? Been been there? And you prayed and it got worse? Well, I'm not going to pray anymore because it just gets worse. (laughs) And that's what happens to Job. And then he keeps saying, well, I'm going to hold to my righteousness, you know, because I've done nothing wrong. And he's right. I mean, it's the enemy attacking him, and he's got no concept of this whatsoever. And then his wife comes to him and says, just curse God and die. When he's sick and he's got boils all over his body. Remember, God said to the enemy, you can't kill him, you can touch him, but you can't kill him. Okay, so this is the enemy. The whole thing is the enemy. And Job continues to say things like, I cursed the day that I was born. I cursed the day that I was born. And then his friends come around. I didn't mean to preach to you the book of Job tonight, but here we go. His friends come around, and they do something amazing. For what, seven days, they stay quiet. Best friends ever. <laughs> they just zip of the lippa for seven days. They can only hold it for seven days. I don't have a friend that can do that. And if I was your friend, I couldn't do that. It would take me one and a half days. I would be totally in your face at that point. No, I'm just, I'm just joking. But their theology was that if you're sick, then you are cursed by God. And so they're sitting with Job long enough not to say anything, but then it just kind of rises to the top, and then they all give him the business. You did something. You think you're righteous. You did something. What did you do? And one by one by one, they bring accusation against Job because Job must must just not know. He must be blind to his own sin. So let's help provoke him until he can finally come to the place where he sees the sin that he truly has because God is cursing him because that's what God does. Everybody in the story blames God. I want you to see something. The enemy wants us to blame God. That's the whole book of Job for you right there. And this is what happens. One by one by one, all of the narratives fail, and then God steps in to encounter Job, and Job backs up and says, I don't know anything. And then Job's ministering to his buddies. If God is good, then why didn't he do anything for me? He did. He sent Jesus Christ. 
He could have just let us all go to hell. That's the truth. See, but we think, we do. The, the, the pride of man, I have it, you have it. I didn't say woman, so you're like, well, I'm a woman. <laughs> but the pride, our pride thinks automatically, intrinsically, that we are so special and we are so amazing. And originally intent, the original intention, original creation, that's true, walking with the Lord, but we have perverted our own way like sheep. We have all gone astray, and we have the sin sickness in us, and that sin sickness brought up on us death, hell, the grave, sickness, human pain. It's like a big spider web that touches everybody. One sin touches another person's sin, and it goes from generation to generation. It's the curse. Why did God allow this to happen? No. Why did we allow it to happen. Here's what he did. He sends Jesus to give his own life. We have a God that would give his own life to pay the price for what we did to ourselves. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is what the enemy wants to shadow from every person on the planet saying to you, saying to me that because of our circumstances, God's not good, but God paid for us eternally. This is not just about temporary stuff. If God is good, then why, why didn't he do anything for me? See, we miss the eternal story of God and exchange it for our feelings and our experiences. Now, I'm not trying to demean anybody here tonight or watching or whatever by saying that what you're going through doesn't matter. God cares. He cared in Jesus where the pain and the price was taken upon his son. We cannot say God doesn't care. The greatest I love you that we have from God is found in the cross of Jesus Christ forever. It's the forever I love you of God. Now, that does not sell very well when you're struggling and you're suffering. I understand that. When, when my friend is suffering and I go to sit next to him, am I going to say, well, you're suffering because, you know, we have this curse of sin, you know, Genesis chapter 3, and, you know, well, you know, this is what the Bible really says. You know, if you've read it, I'm not sure if you have you read it. No, we become Job's <laughs> theological friends. No, what you do is you go and, and you treat them the way you want to be treated. You love them the way you want to be loved. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting some kind of theological arrogance where we walk around and go and do the same thing that Job's friends did. You're cursed by God. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. And you're, you're going to see that in just a second here. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna see that. Number four, if God is good, then why does he allow these things to happen? He, he, he allowed us to have a choice and these things then therefore happened. Right, that's, that's really, the real question is, why do bad things happen to, to good people or people at all? The, the, this is the gospel from the beginning to end. I preached the whole book of Job to you. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. There were people that rhymed before I did. Doesn't God give sickness to some people to bring about His purposes in their life? If you're Calvinist, you would say yes, and if you're not, then you would say no. It's a theological perspective that largely comes from Reformed theology. If you believe in determinism, then you have to believe that God gave sickness. You have to believe that. If you believe that, but you also have a problem because then you have to start talking about how, all the bad things that happen. And God is responsible. All things happen for a reason. I don't believe in coincidences. Well, I believe in sin. I believe that sin hurts people. I believe that sin has affected all of us and that God's answer was Jesus Christ.
God does not author all of the pain in our lives. All things work together for good because He can redeem. The suffering, the struggling that you have, that I've had, can He redeem us in the midst of that? Absolutely. Can God use that? Yes, but it doesn't mean He's the author of it. It doesn't make Him the source of our problems. It actually makes Him the source of our solutions. Now, how do we develop a lifestyle for supernatural healing? Praying for the sick, ministering to one another, maybe even to ourselves. Number one, deal with personal hindrances to healing. Let let me just ask the question, which is utterly offensive all of the time. Do you have any unbelief in you? I'm not asking that because I don't. I'm asking that because we all have to stand before God and ask Him for what we need. Do I have unbelief? Do I have, am I skeptical? Ben, you're up there talking, but I don't care what you're saying because I don't buy it. I don't care how many scriptures you read, I don't, I don't buy it. Are we skeptical? Are we wounded by someone that we love that didn't get healed, that was close to us? Sometimes that will create a disappointment, and that disappointment lodges in our soul and causes us to never pray for someone again. That happens. That, that, that really happens. Bridget and I had a friend die last week of cancer. We have a friend of ours that I visited today. He is, he is, he's in a difficult spot. You know, we've, we have a choice to make. My motto is contend till the end. And here's what I say. If anything ever would happen to me, I would tell you, contend with me until the end. Yeah, I mean, buy me Starbucks too, you know. <laughs> Treat me with love and respect. Don't put me down like I'm cursed by God, but contend with me. Can we just rally together like the people of God and say, we're just going to contend to the end. We're not just going to drift. We're going to contend to the end, but we're not going to patronize each other at the same time. Because sometimes people are worried that we're not going to do both, that we're not going to love each other well and then contend with one another well. You can do both. You can serve, we can serve each other, we can love each other, we can get meals for each other when we're suffering and struggling, we can treat each other with love and kindness, but at the same time, we can put all of our chips into the middle of the table and say, we're going to believe with you until it's all over, and then we're going to smile because you're in the presence of Jesus. That's just who we're going to be. That's just who we're going to be. Deal with personal hindrances. Do you lack the practice of prayer in your life? which, by the way, can bring about guilt when I talk about this issue. If I talk about healing and we're not people that are praying, that's the thing that we need to ask God to change in our life. Lord, help me to pray for those that are sick because currently I don't. 100% of people that are sick in our life are going to stay sick if we have 0% of prayer. If we pray 100% of the time and we saw 20% of the people healed, would it be worth it? Because it's no longer zero. The marker has been moved. That would encourage us to keep praying, I think. And that's exactly what happens. These things are hindering the life that we've been called to, and we need to confront them if we're going to be activated Christians. And that really is the goal of what I'm going after. The goal is not to be arrogant Christians. The goal is to be activated Christians, expectant Christians, believing in prayer. Number two, develop an environment for healing ministry. That's kind of what we're doing tonight. You've You came to listen to me, and I'm just talking. This is an environment where we pray for the sick. Oranges don't grow in my backyard because they can't. They grow in Florida, right? Because in Florida, it has the right temperature. It has the right climate. It has the right environment. Some fruit just doesn't grow in certain environments. That's the facts. Every time I preach on healing, I see someone healed. I don't even have to lay my hands on anybody. It just happens. You know why? Because there's power in the Word. 
Not my word. There's power in His word. I, I've done this before. I've just preached on healing and somebody in the audience got healed. Somebody watching got healed. It's happened. It sounds crazy, but it's His word and not mine. This is what God does. You just start talking about it and all of a sudden the words get activated and it just gets in on someone and something shifts and happens. That's just the power of the word. It's what happened in Scripture. It's what happens because of Scripture. But look what Jesus, it says about Jesus in Mark chapter 6, verse 5. He was in Nazareth, his hometown. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Jesus couldn't do miracles in his own hometown. Jesus Christ. Why? Because of their unbelief. It says he marveled at their unbelief. Unbelief is not doubt. There's a difference. Everybody in this room experiences doubt. Unbelief is a practice. Doubt is an experience. Yeah, write that one down. A few of you just, your mouth went sideways. <laughs> Electrifying. <laughs> no, really, doubt is an experience that every person in this room has had before. I've had doubts, you've had doubts. Doubts can come to you. They don't even have to be your thoughts. They can just come. And we get to choose what to do with those doubts. We can believe them, we can buy the lie, and we can live them out. Then it becomes a practice. If we don't deal with our doubts, it becomes unbelief. Unbelief becomes a practice. And, and that goes where the Bible tells us that it does. We have to develop in an environment, right, like tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching God's word saying he heals the sick and he wants to heal through us. That raises our faith. It raises our expectation. It's an environment where the oranges of healing starts to grow. The leaves of healing start to grow on the branches. There are many churches, they'll never talk to you about this kind of stuff. And unfortunately, they don't see a lot of healing. And it's not because they don't have the same power. They do. They have the same power, but you got to plug in to the electrical socket if you want to see the power flow. That's all it is. There's no secret, no mystery. That's just how, it's just how it is. Number three is we learn as, much as you, learn as much as you can about the healing ministry of Jesus. We study, read books, go to classes. Thank you for being here. Number four, we pray regularly for healing in our home and our church. Every time as someone is sick, we pray for them. This is our first physician. He's not our only physician. And by the way, let me just say, medically speaking, I believe that God heals through human hands. I'm not just saying supernatural healing. God heals through human hands. He's the one that made the hands. <laughs> and even if men and women don't give glory to God, we do. Thank God that Pastor Steve did not die. He was healed through human hands. God moved through doctors, through nurses, through his wife, Mary. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Go to the doctor, Pastor Steve. It happened. And that's what needed to happen. God works through human hands, and he works through human voices. He works through human beings. It's a, it's a lovely thing. So I would never discourage people from the doctor. In fact, many of us should go right now. When I confessed to you many, many weeks ago that I was stubborn and don't always go to the doctor when I ought to, I meant I was stubborn. I was confessing to you. <laughs> I had a few, you know, follow-up emails, conversations, side conversations. Thank you for that. I was aware. That's why I confessed it. <laughs> Every now and again, I confess something and somebody feels the need to bring me into the awareness of what I just shared, that I was aware of it. That's why I shared it. Hallelujah. I don't mind your, you know, correction brings about new direction. I understand. Do this with your kids. Do this with the church. Do this with your small group. Every time we gather, is anybody sick? 
Let's just make it simple. Let's just pray. Lay hands on one another. Words of knowledge. I pray before services. The Lord gives me words of knowledge. I've seen this many, many times. And I just be led by the Spirit. I don't try to get this huge list, you know, backs, necks, legs, things I can't mention, you know. That's not wrong. I've, I've been around, people do a lot of that, this big list, you know, everybody over 60, you know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, if something's not working right, <laughs> I, you, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to be led of the Spirit. Everybody's got a joint thing that's out of whack, Okay. I turned 40, and I can't play basketball like I used to, all right? So that's just the reality. But I'm just saying that words of knowledge are very powerful, and God will give us words of knowledge. And the quote that we want to have is, God will heal. He heals what He reveals. So when He shares something or sh- with us or shows us something, we want to be faithful to see if that's for someone around us. Now, there's a simple prayer model. This is John Wimber, Randy Clark. These type of people, they have this. It's a five-step prayer model when we're praying for someone. I'm going to share that with you in just a second. I'm closing. You didn't know it, but it's happening. The Lord gave me a revelation, and I want you to hear this part, and, and I, I'm very much down the hill right now. The Bible says that Jesus healed all who came to Him. Look what James 5 says. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. I was reading that one day, and it just occurred to me, the people that came to Jesus were healed. In James, he says, if you're sick, is anyone sick, call the elders of the church. There's something about activating our faith in cooperation with His Word If you're sick tonight, when I offer the prayer, my job as a leader is to make it clear how we pray. Pastor Darby leads our prayer ministry Wednesday night. We have prayer from 7 till, I'm pretty sure you guys are there till whenever. Thank you, Pastor Darby and all of the prayer team members. But this this is the reality. I want to make it clear. We will pray for anyone at any time that we can, after every service, before any service, after this service, as the leaders of the church It is our responsibility to make it very clear how we do this. And so you can stop me at Fred Meyer's as far as I'm concerned. Stop me in the middle of the aisle, even if I've got donuts in my hand. (laughs) I will put them down and I will lay hands on you right there. We're not ashamed. And I want you to do the same thing for me. We want to be a people that carry the power of God in a very practical, practical way. And that means that if we're sick, let's not sit there and act like we're not. Sometimes even people that pray for the sick have a hard time ever asking for prayer. Knock it off. I love you. But you and I got to get rid of our stubbornness. It's like salvation. You got to bow your knee. You got to ask. You got to request. If anyone is sick, call the elders of the church. You got to do something. Everybody say, do something. All right, number five, pray for people everywhere you go. This is like, you know, the step beyond the step. And I could give you lots of stories. I'm not trying to say how cool I am and how many things I've seen, but I've seen this to be the case. I've watched this to be the case. And this is the point that you don't have on your notes, and this is the final point. Number six is develop an eternal perspective. This is the part that a lot of Pentecostal charismatics don't want to say, but I am unashamed because the Bible teaches this as well, and this is what provides us a holy tension tonight. 
We develop an eternal perspective. The fact is that every person in this room is dying physically right now. Your body, our body is physically dying. You feel it the older you get. That's the truth. There is actually theology today, this is strange as it is, that God through faith will give life to our mortal flesh and that you don't have to die. That is heresy. There are people that I've actually heard teaching on this because people will take the healing doctrine so far that they will say, if you really believe God in faith, you will never have to physically die. That's how zealous people will get. That is sheer craziness. Why? Because the Bible actually teaches us something separate. It tells us that what Jesus paid for is eternal, that you and I are going to be with Him in heaven, that healing is eternal. And Paul said it this way, 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying. You think of your teeth, right? Our outer man is decaying. Some of you are saying amen too much right there. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Every person that I've ever known that has died in faith did not get a downgrade. Heaven is not a downgrade. Right? It's not a downgrade. Outwardly, we are decaying, but inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Well, Ben, didn't you just teach about physical healing? I did. God releases His power now. And we experience the fullness of His power, not yet, or soon in coming. He's our soon in coming King, and we are living in the tension of the now, His kingdom established now, and His kingdom coming in fullness. His kingdom is coming in fullness. Right now, we see through a glass dimly. So we contend for the power of God to be released because that's what Jesus did, that's what His disciples did, and that's what He teaches us to do. That's what we do because that's what the Word says. But we also know that this is not our home, that this body is going to be something awesome one day. So every loved one, every family member that has named the name of Jesus has a glorified body, and I bet it looks good. And I don't want to blush at that. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to be so zealous about healing that I overlook our eternal dwelling. This is the sad part to me of sometimes the Pentecostal movement that does not see any beauty in going into the arms of Jesus. I'm sorry, the more people that I've seen die, the more beauty I'm seeing in being with the Lord. But when you fear death, you protect certain doctrines at all costs. And some people will actually make doctrines up to say, well, we don't ever have to die. And that's just nonsense because we will. But we don't die, yet we shall. Outwardly, we are being, we are decaying. We're so glad you were able to join us today. We would like you to find out more about Northwest Church by going to our website, nwcforsquare.org, or downloading our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.